I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. How many of us feel just stuck? Whether it's lack of inertia, procrastination, feeling like we're in a slog, like everything is meh, just bleh. What if I could tell you that there were three steps to break through the inertia and find your path forward? Well, Britt Frank is the author of The Science of Stuck, and she is a therapist who has pulled together her experience her personal journey, and her advice, which is really different than I think some of the advice that's out there about going into and thinking about how you have to move forward, where it's coming from. This is really action-oriented, three steps that will help you take the leap forward to just unstick yourself and then figure the rest out later. She's awesome. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Please do me a favor If you're liking this podcast, can you please subscribe, review, and rate the podcast? It means a lot to me, and it's very helpful to reach more listeners. So give me five stars. I appreciate it. I think we're worth it. And if you could review it, it would really mean a lot. Thank you. Just for background, The Second Shift is a community of professional women for the most part, who are in their like mid to senior level career. So these are women who are like ambitious and smart and educated. And, you know, 86% of us have kids and there's a lot of women who just feel stuck. Huh. And so this book, when I read about you and saw that there was somebody had written a book about the science of stuck breaking through inertia to find your path forward, it made me realize that I had to talk to you and reached out because stuck is really, there's lots of different ways in which people call it. It's like meh or stuck, or I feel just unmotivated, or I don't know what to do, where to go, my career stalled. I want to get back to work. It's just, there's a million ways you can unwrap the same thing, but what it means is stuck. Exactly. So writing this book. Yes, 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 yes. My follow-up to that is always, I wrote the book and I called it the science of stuck. Well, not everyone identifies as having a mental health challenge. I mean, I do, but not everyone does. And so I called it the science of stuck because most of the mental healthy books are geared for people that know they need mental health help and go to therapy. And you may not go to therapy. You may not need therapy. You may not need meds, but Everyone knows what it's like to feel stuck. So it's the science of stuck because if you are a human with a brain, you're going to feel stuck in some degree, in some area at some point. <laughs> and your book, I, I read it last night, you know, not cover to cover, but for the most part, because I, I love books like this and I think that they're so relevant. And I try to give pertinent advice to the women in our community and pull pieces and things out from everywhere. And What I like about this is that so many books talk so much about like, okay, first step, you have to go into the why. Why are you stuck? Where is this coming from? And I give that advice a lot. And so you're turning this whole thing on its head, which is really like the why is actually less important to begin with. 
than the movement. And no shade to people that there are people whose entire body of work focuses on the why. And so I am not saying that we need to throw the why question out the window and give it no airtime. I am saying when the building is on fire, you don't need to know why it's on fire to get the people out and to put the fire out. And what happens, what I've seen, and I'm sure what you see too, is most people really believe if I understand why this is happening, then I will have what I need to change it. And that is just fundamentally inaccurate. In order to get unstuck, there's a physiological component that needs to be addressed first, which is why all the positive thinking, mind work, go me, sales strategies, like all of these things that focus on our executive functioning are not the first step. The first step is don't start with why, which is like in the business world, you know, the book Start With Why is the law of the land. And I, with business development, always start with why. Yes, if you're starting a business, you need your why. But if you're stuck with relationships, finances, career decisions, do I stay or do I leave a difficult relationship? What do I do with the kids? You never start with why because your brain's on fire. So let's put the fire out. And then once we get the fire out, I have found most people can get to clarity about who they are, what they want and what needs to happen and the capacity to mobilize. Once we put the fire in your, you know, more primitive parts of your brain out the window. Why is so much about nervous system then? Why is it so much about our brain and our nervous system and trying to like, as you say, like override it in some way? Hmm. So what we want to do is regulate our nervous system. And most people, myself included, don't want to deal with anything south of our necks. It's like, no, no, no. I just need to think my way forward. I just need to put my head in the right spot. I need to understand. I need clarity. And it's like, but you're, you're ignoring the fact that we're biological organisms that interact with the world and there are parts of our brain that are doing things. It's like if you didn't know how to drive a car and you got into a car and it starts rolling down the hill and you're like, why is my car crashing? You need to understand there's a gas pedal, a brake pedal, an emergency brake. Here's how it works. Like I'm not an auto mechanic, but I know enough to drive my car safely. And it's the same thing with our brains. None of us, well, I wasn't, and maybe people more now, we're taught, well, hey, just so you know, when your central nervous system is stuck on the gas pedal, you're going to feel anxious, irritable, restless, insomnia, like all of that. And when your nervous system is stuck with the brake pedal, you're going to feel lazy. You're going to feel unmotivated. You're going to feel sluggish and fatigued. And you're going to assume, if you don't know that, that it's you. And so you're not lazy. You're not unmotivated is sort of my shtick. But if you know that your nervous system drives a large percentage of what you don't like yourself experiencing, thinking, feeling, and doing, then we need to know about it in order to affect sustainable change instead of beating the crap out of ourselves and fighting with the parts of our bodies that are trying to help us, not hurt us. So in some ways, okay, I spoke to this woman the other day who is like very super senior woman and she's a friend of mine. And, you know, this is a typical type of story and she's reached a very senior level in her position. And she's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not interested in working in this like all boys club. I want to do something that is she had all the reasons and she knew what she was doing and she was networking and she was making all the right choices, but it was really hard for her to switch her career. And she was starting to, I could see panic. And I find that this happens with women and I'm sure men too, where it's like, you get to a place where you're not seeing action. You're not seeing the results you want. 
and you start to panic and you like, you know, just quit your job. It's like fight or flight, right? You jump to a thing because you think that's going to be the solution instead of sitting in the hard. I don't like the hard at all. No I'm one sure likes the hard. Even high functioning, high capacity people that have a tremendous amount of tolerance for discomfort externally have trouble sitting with the heart because it's gross. And then there's the thing about grief for someone like that, who's switching from this position that I'm sure she has worked her butt off to get to, to shift out of that is to give up a lot of things that are well worth giving up if you're not satisfied there. But then there's the problem of grief. And the other thing that keeps us stuck besides the why question is this total misunderstanding about the grieving process. Like grief is for when someone dies and you get a year to do it and then that's it. And that's total BS. We need to grieve any type of change or any type of loss because all change, even good change is going to feel threatening to our nervous system, which is why having a grief process to accompany even the best change. Like I was a drug addict quitting drugs. You would think, yay, go me all good. But there's a grief there because if I was a hot mess, then I didn't have to try to achieve anything. And then I I didn't have to risk failure. I was already failing. So that was just, you know, a given. And I had to grieve a very uncomfortable, toxic, chaotic, dysfunctional familiar, but familiar nevertheless. So the inability or unwillingness to grieve a change will often keep us stuck. So like you said, trying to make these giant leaps, our nervous system doesn't like big, our nervous system likes small, too big, and we tend to freeze. And that's where the panic often comes from. So yeah, agree. But it's just funny because stuck can mean so many things, right? So in this woman's version, stuck isn't stuck in the job. Stuck is not having the change she wants. She's ready to be unstuck, but she can't get there to the thing she wants fast enough. So she has to sit in the stuck. She can't really unstick. That's where she's stuck. (laughs) As you know, it sounds funny, but like to that situation, you could have somebody who there's all versions of stuck. So many versions of stuck. And what I really like to impress upon people is often we use the word stuck to describe a situation where we're not stuck. Like your lady doesn't actually sound like she's stuck. It sounds like she's in a transition. She's having a layover at just a crappy airport where there's nothing to do and there's a lot of uncomfortable feelings. But often, you know, people are not stuck. They are in transition and the transition sucks. And I have so much empathy for that. But it's important important to really define using accurate language. Are you stuck or are you moving forward, but at a pace that you find unpleasant? Big difference. And how do you, I want to go into the unsticking in the other situation, but I just want your advice therapist. Like how do you sit in the transition? How how do you coach people to, (laughs) you know, you've unstuck, but you're not there yet. It's a bummer, isn't it? So the first thing we would assess is, are you stuck? Because if you actually are stuck, that's a different set of interventions than if you're in a transition that's uncomfortable, which is also a different set of interventions than if you're transitioning, but it's at a pace that you don't like. So those are three very different situations. For someone who is stuck or someone who is moving slower than they would like, I would say one is there, well, two and three, I would say, is there a grief process to accompany what you're doing? Because if you're bored in the transition, my hunch is you left this behind. So even leaving stuck is uncomfortable. So let's talk about the grief process and what that is and how to do it. But if you're stuck or you're moving too slowly, I would say 
forget about big steps and forget about baby steps. What are your micro yeses? And a micro yes is the tiniest possible thing that you can say yes to without totally tweaking out your nervous system in your brain, like working out. You know, someone's like, I just want to do 10 minutes around the block every day. Okay, well, you're not doing that. So what you think is a baby step and what your brain thinks is a baby step are not congruent. So you have to dial it down. It might be a micro yes for that is you put your sneakers by the door and that's it. And that's all that you do. And micro yeses aren't sexy and they're not Instagrammable and they don't feel very good. You don't get a huge rush of dopamine for doing them, but micro yeses compound very quickly. So if you feel like you're doing nothing, well, are you doing nothing? But of all these tiny, tiny micro yeses that are available to you, I guarantee you, unless you're talking about systemic oppression or a genetic condition or a medical prohibition, there are very few instances where there are no micro yeses to be found. So when someone's like, I can't do anything, I'm totally stuck, everything and always and nothing, I will almost guarantee that there's an entire field of micro yeses that are being overlooked and they count and they compound. So we want to grab those little microscopic yeses in order to get to the bigger things or to get to anything we want to get to. It's a series of micro yeses forward. I love this micro yes idea because I do find that people come up with a game plan, right? And it's very big. And it's like, you know, I'm going to go quit my job and start this big company, or I'm going to go and start, you know, an entire new endeavor in some capacity, start a new life, whatever, start playing tennis, who knows? And, you know, I'm going to work out every day and I'm going to do this program and it's the whole blah, blah, blah. And it's 90 days. And then you don't do it and you feel like shit because you didn't do it. Or you like, it's so much to take on. It's not doable or it's not really thought through. Or it's completely thought through and the entire plan is flawless, but you are neglecting to acknowledge that you have a central nervous system that has a totally different set of objectives and a different set of metrics. And like you can have all of the capacity in the world for strategy and planning and know your why and here's my plan and here are all the things I want to do. But if your steps are too big for your brain to process and metabolize, then you're not going to do it. And like you said, you're going to feel like absolute shit. What's wrong with me? Why? can I? And what's, and then you add stories of shame and unworthiness and not good enoughness, which are all crap. But again, we need to recognize that if in a fight between the best capacity of your thinking logic brain and your central nervous system, your nervous system is going to win every time it's designed to like, we're designed and we're wired to survive in the wild, not to launch a business in three months. Yeah. I think I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite person. I have the opposite problem. I love the challenge. I'm never stuck, but I come up with like the biggest, I'm like, I'm going to learn this thing. And I like come up with and dive right into it. And then it's only like, and I love the making the rules and following and doing the thing and like incorporating into my life. And then it's like a year in or whatever. I'm like, Oh God, I like just did this thing. Do I even want this thing? Was this a good idea? Like, Which is such a problem for high-functioning people, right? Because often you can execute and you don't get stuck. And then it's only after the dust settles that it's like, oh crap, what have I done? I did the thing and the thing is awesome, but it's- Now I'm it's, in the thing. 
now I'm stuck in the thing. And if the thing is really awesome, now I'm stuck in a thing that's working and that is profitable, but it's, I built a life that's not shaped for me. Yeah, that's, that, that can be something that can be a little bit more of my story. I'd love to know more about your story. I read a little bit about you and you have a fascinating journey to get where you are. And I wonder how you used, how you came up with the micro yes idea. And if you used it in your own life to help you yourself. So on paper, my story looks like what's her problem. Everything is fine. You know, I grew up on Long Island's very typically, stereotypically Jewish family. I went to college. I did well in school. I did all of the things. But there are so many ways to be injured from birth to 18 besides the really... I always thought, well, I didn't have anything super terrible going on. We always had enough to eat. My parents didn't beat me. But there are a lot of ways to be injured besides that. And so I did not know anything about mental health, anything about the nervous system or anything about the different types of abuse one can sustain in childhood and on. And so I, you know, kind of lost my mind very quickly. I shouldn't say I lost my mind. I coped in really suboptimal ways, including crazy making relationships. I never got stuck with work or school, but relationally, body-wise, drug addiction, eating disorders, all all of the things, crazy making relationships. And so when all that didn't work, I decided to join a fundamentalist religious cult because like what better place to rebel for a Long Island Jewish girl than to go join like a hardcore fundamentalist Christian fringe sect. It wasn't a hate group and it wasn't a murder cult, but like there's a lot of types of cults besides the sex ones and the hate ones and the murder ones. And I did that for a minute. And that worked until it didn't. I get the appeal. Like not all cults are extremist, but the cult of wellness, the cult of fitness, the cult of diet, anything that says do this, think this, be this, eat this, wear this, and you will be good. And you will be just add water and stir. And here is your best life. Here's your identity. Yes. And that doesn't work. I mean, it works temporarily. I was great at it until I started thinking for myself again. It was like, wait a minute. Oh, wait, nope. In order to be part of, I need to just do and not think. And that was unacceptable for me after a while. So left the cult and, you know, found my way to a therapist that knew all of this central nervous system brain stuff, the integration of brain and body and mind and physiology. And I started to get better. And I didn't enter this field because I wanted to help people, even though it's a lovely thing that happens. I just really love talking about this. I've experienced such profound changes that all I want to do is talk about and think about and write about. And so I just, I didn't really have a career. I was more of a floater, but I settled down in my early thirties going, this is what I want to do. So I went back to grad school at 31 and uh, here we are. Did you wind up unsticking yourself? Like how did you come up with the micro? Yes. Idea? Oh, the micro. I yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so or you seem like you, you make big changes. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not stuck. <laughs> 10 out of 10 don't recommend. I mean, if your life is chaotic enough that big changes are required or else you die, which is not hyperbole. I was in a a domestic violence situation where it's like, you need to make big changes. Like I smoked meth. I was in these relationships. If you don't make a big change, you're not going to live to survive the next chapter. But 10 out of 10 don't recommend. And most people don't need to burn their lives to the ground to get from stuck to unstuck. I did, but most people don't. And the micro yes came from after my life, Life went from just bananas to just the normal shenanigans of life, I noticed, oh, wow, I don't need to do these huge sweeping things to 
feel better very quickly. And the micro yes was sort of a synthesis of the somatic body of literature that talks about the nervous system and how we metabolize and how we interface with the environment, metabolize our experiences. And then the 12 steps concept of one day at a time. And one day at a time is too big for a micro yes. But I sat down, I'm like, wait a minute. So the 12 steps kind of have this just focus right now. Don't worry about then or when, just like right now. And the somatic people are talking about the nervous system and sizing distortions. What about a micro yes? Because baby steps I wasn't taking, my clients weren't taking, but micro yeses everyone was doing and they were doing them and getting better. So that sort of was how I assembled all of that stuff and came up with that idea. What I think is cool about your book is that it also, it integrates a lot of different modalities into one idea with the specific focus and end goal of getting unstuck in whatever capacity you need to unstick your life. So like you talk about trauma, big T and little T, you talk about, you know, internal family systems, which I think is like an amazingly cool practice. And also the like shadow work and integrating your shadow. So it's not that it's not the why it's almost like you're just flipping it because that in some ways is the why, right? You're, you're getting to it. You're just not starting with it. Exactly. Exactly. Why is step nine? It's mile five on a marathon. It's not the starting gate question. It's a question for later. And sometimes once you get unstuck, I wanted to know the why, because I like to analyze and I'm happy to deep dive into the abyss of the psyche. A lot of people don't care to know the why once they're unstuck, that's good enough. It's like, you know what? I'm not doing the thing. I'm able to do the thing. My life is working. I don't need to know why I'm just going to go and do my thing. That's great. Like you don't need to, if you don't need the why you don't have to go digging for it. I like the why. And once we get to mile five later in the process, the why sort of becomes an invitation. So at this point, do you want to dive? You don't need to, but we can. And some people are like, yeah, let's do it. And some people are like, uh, bye. Thanks for our work together. I'm good. See ya. And that's great because for the people who aren't interested, it's kind of like an invitation how to get started without it seeming like, oh my God, this is going to be awful. And I'm going to have to go into every single thing that ever happened to me and, you know, dive in and it's going to be painful. It doesn't have to be painful. No, I mean, it'll be uncomfortable, but I, I everything's uncomfortable in life. Exactly. It's like working out, you know, like working out shouldn't injure you. You shouldn't be working out where you're puking and non-functional, but if you're not a little uncomfortable while you're working out, you're probably not going to get where you want to be fitness wise. So that's a great metaphor for this. It shouldn't be so painful that you're non-functional or injured, but yeah, you're going to be uncomfortable, especially if you want to know the why that's usually where the really cringy things happen which is why most people are very content to just, we we don't need the why, because that's where a lot of the family of origin stuff comes into play. That's when a lot of looking at your patterns and habits and thoughts and belief systems and feelings. And some people are like, I don't want to. It's like, okay, well, you don't have to. But you've broken it down to three steps. So there are three steps, according to you, to get unstuck and and using these micro yeses. What are Mm -hmm. the three steps? So for step one, never start with why. So if you want to get unstuck, do not start with why. 
instead of asking why questions, step two is ask yourself what questions, what are the people, places, thoughts, or things that help me feel not good, not better, but less activated. So if you're in the raft, if you're a person that finds themselves stuck on up, who are the people, what are the places, thoughts, and things, TV shows, music, whatever, that help me come down a little. And if you're someone that finds themselves stuck on off, like laying on the couch, can't get up, can't do anything, what are the people, places, thoughts, and things that help your system come up? So step one, don't ask why ask what? Step two, what are my resources? Make a list. Step three, of those things, find the smallest possible yes that you can do and then do it. And then you listen for feedback, adjust, and then repeat. Okay. So I think that your trick here is that it's the feedback piece of it that gets you into the why. It's like a sneaky, it's like putting like broccoli in kids' food. Yeah. It's the feedback because once you have to start paying attention Once you're doing the thing and you have to start paying attention, all of a sudden that brings in like a mindfulness that you have to have, a paying attention. Back to our mindfulness. Yeah. yeah, You're going to have to start like questioning some things that like you might not have wanted to at the beginning. So that's very clever. Congratulations. I sneak therapy (laughs) in wherever I can. (laughs) Okay. I get it now. And I'm just wondering, so like if somebody is doing this process and has to start paying attention how do you recommend that they have that sneaky backdoor mindfulness or creating that practice of like, how do you pay attention? Because some people are really bad at paying attention to not the why, but even just any, am I slow? Am I low? Am I high? Am I, you know, what's the yes? Did it make me feel good? Yeah. And listening for feedback is not on a global scale. Listening for feedback only refers to whatever your micro yes is. So if you want to start a new business, there's a a bajillion things to do, but of all of the things that you could do, whatever your micro yes was, like maybe your micro yes is you just open your computer and you start a folder of, you know, networking people or whatever, then only listen for feedback after you do it. Then you just sort of check it out like animals in the wild. Is everybody okay? okay, I just started the folder. I closed my computer. I've gone on with my day. Am I okay? Like, okay, the world hasn't ended. The stories I'm telling about what it'll mean for my finances and my family if I launch this business later in life or and I change everything. We haven't done any of that. We have done a small enough step that if you listen for feedback, it won't take you more than five seconds, really, five, 10 seconds max. This is not an exercise where you need to take a deep breath and get out your gear and sit down and meditate. This is just, are you okay? that working? All right, cool. If you do that and you start having a massive panic episode, then we now know that that's too big of a step for your system and we dial it down. And again, the trick with these micro yeses is when you pay attention, they're not as scary as the bigger things. And then you slowly build capacity. So by the time you get to the super scary things, looking at them isn't as scary. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. But the bigger questions, again, fitness is the best metaphor. It's like you don't run a marathon without training. Micro yeses train your system to be able to tolerate the big things that you're saying that you want in your life, which include good things like intimacy and financial freedom. Like those things are very disruptive if they're not things that your system is accustomed to. So micro yeses work on all fronts and make the mindfulness thing less overwhelming, less big, less scary, and less less of a to-do list. It's like, I don't have to put on my calendar. Now I need to practice my mind. It's like, no, you just do it. And then it's done. Check. And then pick another one and go. I love this. 
I just want to talk very quickly and then I'll let you go about procrastination because that's a big topic in your book. And something that in this social media age, I find even the most well-meaning person could get derailed into. (laughs) It doesn't even have, I don't know. Is that something that is because we're biologically in like a nervous system (laughs) place? Or is that just like the way in which now our brains work? Because we're like, oh, look, these pretty pictures. I need to look at this. It's more important. And sometimes I call it productive procrastinating. It's like, you're not doing what you really need to be doing, but your house is clean and the kids' lunches are made and you've now done a brainstorming list, but it's like, no, you actually need to just answer this email, but you've done really awesome stuff. So, but that is still productive procrastinating. It's the wrong, I'm really big on the semantic, like use the right words to describe what ails us. Otherwise, what's going to change? Procrastination is a fear response. It's a freeze response. It's a state of shutdown. Now, again, people go, well, why am I afraid? We'll go back to the three steps. It doesn't matter why right now. We'll figure it out later. But if you're scrolling well past the point of relaxation and entertainment to where it's now like causing you to lose sleep and to not do the things that you want to do, it's a fear response. So call procrastination what it is. It's a nervous system that is shut down in freeze because there's a huge difference if you say, oh my God, I just don't know what's wrong with me. I'm such a procrastinator. Great. That's now an identity that you can't, like if that's who you are, there's nothing to be done versus, oh wow, my nervous system is super freezy and super stuck right now. And then I wonder what are my people, places, thoughts, or things that can help pick one, pick a small one, listen for feedback and shift. And that works. Procrastination is not a moral failing or a lazy issue. It is a nervous system issue. And that does not mean that you should just stay there. Oh, my nervous system. I tell the parents I work with, like when teens watch mental health stuff on TikTok, they get very clever. Oh, sorry, mom. I can't go to school because my nervous system is locked down in a freeze response. And so, you know, sorry. It's like, well, okay, that's the, you know, origin point, but that's not where we're going to stay. Stuck is your starting place. Procrastination, a freeze response is information. Great. Now we have it. Now let's shift it. Purposeful procrastination. I wonder is the mental load that primarily women carry and women who are parents, especially, is that related? Like, because I have such an enormous, using myself as an example, I have such an enormous mental load of all of the things that need to get done that it's so easy to procrastinate because the list is never ending that I could like order the camp clothes instead of doing work all day. And I still feel like I'm productive. And so do you find that women more than men in your experience and practice have a harder time with stuck and with doing all of this? Because in some ways, like we're always productive. So it could like fool you into thinking that you are, but it's a treadmill. It's false. It's so curious. And again, I'm speaking from my very limited sample set, the clients that I work with, I've noticed that the men I work with and the women are equally stuck, but in completely different ways in completely different areas. You know, women, we try to integrate everything. I want to do it all, have it all, be it all, get it all done, look good while doing it, do it flawlessly, execute it perfectly while people pleasing. So everyone likes me and the men get stuck with their compartmentalization. So women often gets, and again, this is very broadly generalized and does not disclaimer. 
I have to just claim the things. Got that it. This is intentionally not inclusive of every possible population, but I'm speaking broadly about my particular Gender. clientele. Um, women are stuck with knowing too many things at the same time. Men often get stuck compartmentalizing what they know so they can't access it. And so it would be good to actually take a page out of each other's books. A lot of women would do well to compartmentalize a little bit more. And a lot of men would do well to integrate what they know a little bit more. So I would say equally as stuck, but in a wildly different way, generally speaking. But the solution is the same. Three steps, micro yeses. That'll get you out of the rut, the meh, the slog, the stuck, whatever you want to call it. It's the same thing. Exactly. And that's not like, yay, just magic your way out of it. I'm not trying to magic your life. I'm trying to get you from stuck to go. Once you're out of stuck, you do whatever you want. You do your things. I am not the snake oil salesperson promising like wealth and health and bliss, but like this will get you unstuck. And that's really where most of the problems tend to be because once people get up and running, I find that they do fine. It's the starting gate where things are the most messy and tricky and sticky. I love this. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing this book. I've already sent it to like four of my friends last night. It's such good advice and it's such a different way of thinking about it. So let's all unstick ourselves. Thank you, Britt Frank. Thanks so much. It was was awesome to speak with you. You too. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women.